Well, this morning we continue on our church membership series. Um, But before we start, I'd like to start us off with a word of prayer. So let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for this day that you've allowed us to gather as your people um, in this place. God, we pray that as we consider um, these things about church membership, that you would continue to guide and direct us and how we might be better uh, members of the body of Christ, that how we might be better members of this local expression of that body here at First Baptist Church. And God, we ask that you would um, just help us to be um, increasingly reflecting your image in this community. God, we ask that you would help us to be a shining light in darkness, that you would help us to be um, a church that takes care of one another and encourages one another in difficult times. And Lord, we just again ask that you'd help us to look more like your son, Jesus, more and more, week in, week out, that we might glorify you. We love you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, so far in the church uh, membership series, we've looked at and talked about and prayed through um, what it looks like to, to be a church. We said, what is the church? When we talked about how that is, the church is simply, by definition, God's people. It's the assembly of God's people. That's what the word church means. Ecclesia means the gathering of people. The metaphors in the Bible that point us toward, uh, that refer to the church are like a body, a building, a family, uh, one collective thing that's made up of many smaller units. And we talked about how this church, uh, that the, the, there's the big C church, the church, the universal church. Everyone who's ever been saved and in right relationship with the Lord is in this universal church. It's from all time, from all peoples, everywhere across the globe. All people are part of the universal church, the big C church. But we also said, hey, There's not just this universal church, the big C church. There's also little C church, these local expressions of the universal church that pop up all across the New Testament. Um, Right off the bat, there's these local gatherings of people um, who are gathering together weekly um, in relationship to one another, covenanting together, who have leadership within their midst. Um, So there are these local church expressions. So the local church is a visible and tangible expression of the universal church. It's a group of Christians who have covenanted together and basically live in the same geographic area. Nowadays, we're all very willing to drive 30, 45 minutes to go get something or to go to church somewhere, right? So basically, we're in the same geographic area. That's what a local church is. Which all this begs the question, we've talked about what the church is and what the local expression of that church is, but who can be part of that church? Who are the members of a local church? And that's what we're going to look at today, becoming a member of a church or becoming a church member. There's a few false ways that you might that there that circulate about how you might become a church member. One false way of becoming a church member is by birthright. There used to be a very popular way of keeping a cradle roll at the church. That meant the, the members of the church, they have a baby and they put their name on the cradle roll. Kind of enrollment in nursery, right? The cradle roll, we would say, is different from the church membership role, right? Because you're not born into church membership, as our friends in the, in the Presbyterian church might say. Um, we would say, no, a, a person is not born into church membership. It's not uh, given to you like a citizenship Uh, In a country, right? When my kids were born, when your kids were born, when you were born, if you're born in this country, you were given a citizenship by birth. It's not the same in the church. We're going to talk about how you get citizenship when you're born again in the church, not when you're born. Another false way of joining a church would be being perfect. 
That's not the way you join a church, by being perfect. We're going to see later on that we are definitely not a group of perfect people. But being perfect is not the means by which you join a church. Third, by being generous. That's not the way you join a church. If you just give enough money to a church um, and get a name plastered on a, a something, some item that's been donated to the church, that doesn't make you a part of a church or a part of the church. Those are some false ways that somebody might think that they're part of a church by being right, being uh, sorry, by birthright or being perfect, being generous, even just attending a church. That doesn't make somebody a member of a church. So what is it that makes somebody a member? What brings them into that fellowship? Well, we're going to talk about these two biblical concepts of being born again and baptized. People who are members of a church should be born again and baptized. And there are no other requirements. It's not a, a club where we have to meet all these different requirements of having being have a certain type of job or a certain job status or a certain um, uh, citizenship from a certain country. None of that applies except for being born again and being baptized. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to the book of John chapter 3. And we're going to see that first requirement for church membership, being born again. In John chapter 3, we're going to look at the first few verses. This is the quintessential passage for being born again. It's where John, or sorry, when Jesus is talking to a guy named Nicodemus. This is Nicodemus is a, a Pharisee um, who would have been a, a religious leader, somebody who's very understanding of the Old Testament, of Jewish law, and would have had a very keen concept of what it means to be the people of God which is what we've said now the church is, right? The people of God. So Nicodemus has this idea of who is the people of God. Yet he's intrigued by Jesus teaching that the people of God is not just the Jewish people, but that it's being um, given out to those who are not part of the Jewish people. So this is what Jesus and Nicodemus talk about. John chapter 3 verse 1 says this, and there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, Well, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So simply put, being born again refers to that moment when a person goes from being a non-Christian to a Christian. To simply put it that way, Jesus is telling Nicodemus here that, hey, if you want to be part of the kingdom of God, if you want to be in God's people, you must be born again. Which, in some sense, confused Nicodemus because he knew what Jesus was really saying, that you had to have this new relationship with Jesus. And that was confusing to Nicodemus. And Jesus clarifies, he says, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So this is the basic way the Bible talks about when somebody goes from being a non-Christian to a Christian. But the Bible speaks of it in a lot of different ways. It also refers to this um, born again experience as moving from death to life. You were dead in your sins. Now you're alive in Christ. 
It talks about being an enemy of God and rebelling against him to being transferred over to being a friend. It talks about being adopted as sons and daughters, being brought into the family. Once you were an orphan, now you are a son. It talks about being lost and found. It talks about being rebellious and moving to repentance. And then finally, it speaks of being a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says this. Anyone who is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new is come. And when Jesus is speaking of the kingdom in this passage, he's speaking of this realm, this this, um, concept of God having rule and reign over his people. The kingdom of God is God's righteous rule and reign, his redemptive rule that includes everything and everyone that's in submission to him. And as Jesus came on the scene, he said, repent and believe because the kingdom's coming. The kingdom is coming. It's at hand. So in one sense, the kingdom's coming, but in another sense, it's already here because the people of God are trusting in him and being part of that kingdom. So the church, as we think of this local, uh, of, of not the local church, but the universal church, the universal church is people who have been recreated in the image of Jesus. Like that verse said, like first, second Corinthians said, anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. It's somebody who has been recreated or another way to say that is regenerated, um, made alive again, given new life. And this recreation or this regeneration is something that happens inside somebody. It's internal, it's spiritual, and it's it's an event that takes place in a person's heart through the working of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes that salvation experience, that conversion experience, that regeneration, sometimes it happens like this. You listen to a sermon, you're at a, uh, you hear somebody preach the gospel and share the gospel with you. And in that moment, your eyes are opened, just like Paul, um, when he gets knocked off the horse. It's like this moment that comes and, and like the, you know, the scales fall off the eyes and it happens in a moment. For other people, it seems that that regeneration takes place over a period of time where they, God starts to work on their heart. And they, over a period of a week or two weeks, a month or two months, maybe even a year, They can point to say, hey, man, God changed my life throughout that time. But regardless of whether it happens in a moment or over an extended period of time, there is a time in someone's life when they can go back and look and say, I was rebelling against God. And then there was a moment in my life when that changed, when God recreated me. Maybe you can say it was August 13th, 1989, I was right here at this moment. The clock struck midnight. That was me. Like, maybe that's you. Or maybe you just say, man, my junior year, I started going to church with a girlfriend and I started to hear God's word and God started to change my heart over that year. I don't know exactly when I believe, but I know by the time I graduated, God had changed me and I was a Bible-believing Christian. I was, a, 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 I was trusting in Christ. Whatever that looks like for you, that, can, that happens to a Christian. There's a moment in time. And the beautiful thing is that kind of conversion, that new life that comes and gives you that living hope that we've talked about is open to anyone. There are no boundaries on who can become a believer. That's what was shocking to Nicodemus in this passage is that Jesus was saying it's not by being born the first time into the Jewish people that makes you the people of God. It's by being born a second time, being born again, that makes you part of the people of God through faith and repentance.
And that's open to anybody and everybody. As we share the gospel, we know that no matter who you run into, that person that you run into is not outside of God's reach. That person can become a a member of God's family. That person can become a born-again believer. And so since the the church, as we've talked about, is made up of only new, uh, only recreated people, only born-again people, the universal church is, we should strive to see the local church look as much as possible like like the universal church. Meaning we should only bring in to church membership those who have been born again. Because we should want the local church to be as close to a visible expression of the kingdom of God as possible. As possible. So we should strive as much as possible to see the local church reflect that regenerate nature of the universal church. But what's the problem with that? We can't read people's hearts, can we? Um, There's no machine that we have at a church to where we set you down and hook you up to it and we can look inside of your spiritual heart and see are they a believer or not. And we cannot do that. Um, The Bible is clear about that. We know that we cannot look into a person's heart. So when we bring somebody into church membership or when when we bring somebody into that fellowship, we're making that decision based on a profession of faith. You ever hear that that word profession of faith? Like um, when we baptize people, we say, you know, based on the profession of faith, what we're doing is trusting in somebody's uh, word that they've said. And we're going to get back to that here in a little bit. But all that to say, the the first requirement for somebody to be part of a church, whether it's a First Baptist Church or any other church, is this, that they be born again, that they be born again. The second requirement is this, that they be baptized, that they be baptized. We're going to look at a few verses here, but when we think of someone being baptized, we, we see somebody go, uh, being coming into a, a pool of water like this, and they go underwater, and it's, it's a picture of what goes on um, in our salvation. But as we think about baptism, it was the first instruction that Jesus gave us for making a disciple, right? In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the very first thing Jesus told us to do when we're making disciples is to baptize them, to baptize them. So it was the first instruction in making disciples. It was also the first response that people had to being born again. Think of the uh, book of Acts chapter 2. It says this, when, G- when Peter finished that first Christian sermon and the people that heard it were cut to the heart, this is what it says. Now when they heard, uh, when they heard this, this Christian message, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Something's happened to our heart. We're repentant. What, what, like something's going on in our heart. What is it that we should do? Peter replies with this. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Peter, when they said, hey, we're convicted of our sins. We know we need a Savior. What is, that, what is it that we should do? He says, repent and be baptized. Repent means turn away from your sins, not just turn away from your sins, but also trust in Jesus. Believe what we've just told you and then make that public by being baptized. Now, Peter, in this statement, he's conflating repentance, belief and baptism, baptism all into kind of one phrase here. 
Now, if we kind of nuance that out as we see that happen in the rest of the New Testament, we realize there is a difference between someone becoming a believer and someone being baptized, right? We, we know that there's a difference between those two things. But Peter, in this statement, saying those two things are so closely tied together that he just makes it in one statement. Repent of your sins and be baptized for the remission of your sins. So when someone feels that, that uh, conviction in their heart that they need to be saved, what do they do? They turn and trust in Jesus, turn from their sins, trust in Jesus, and they make that known by baptism. They make that public by baptism. So baptism is for, it's the first instruction that Jesus gives us. It's the first response of people who are born again. And it's the first assumption that Paul makes about believers in the Bible. If we look at Romans chapter 6, we're going to read a, a few verses here. If you'd like to, you can turn to Romans chapter 6 because this is an important passage to, to dig into. Romans chapter 6 verses 1 through 4. This is when Paul begins to talk about if somebody should continue in sin or not. Um, now that we know that salvation is by grace through faith, not by works. He responds in chapter 6 of Romans with this. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So Paul right there is making an assumption that, that the per people he's talking to are saved. He says, how can we who are dead to sin still live in sin? If you're dead to sin, that means you're a Christian, you're saved. And then he goes on from there to say in verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized? So you see how he's relating those two things? If you're dead to sin, he's assuming that you are baptized. If you're dead to your sin, he assumes that you have made that death to sin public through baptism. So he goes on to say, if you... Uh, do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. So again, Paul, when he's, when he's speaking of someone who is a Christian, who's gone from death to life, he, assume, he automatically assumes that Part of that process was being baptized. Again, we nuance that out and we realize that becoming a Christian and being baptized are two separate events. But those two events should be very, very close to one another. Which brings us to think of what is the meaning of baptism in general? Well, we think of baptism. Baptism is public and personal. It's two different things happening. It's a personal thing for the person and it's a public thing for the church. A person, when they are baptized, they are making a personal identification with Christ and his death, as that verse says. Just as Christ has died for your sin, you are saying, I have died to my sin. And that's pictured as the person goes down into the water. That's a picture of death, right? Just as Christ died, you are dying to your sin, not wanting to sin any longer. And just as Christ was raised to new life, you're raised up out of the water to picture that you are a new creation, right? Second Corinthians said you're a new creation. And not only are you raised to new life in this life, you also have the hope of being resurrected with him in the future, in his new kingdom. So it is a personal identification with Christ and his work. 
But it's not just a personal identification. It's also a public testimony that you identify with Christ. It's you saying to a congregation of people, hey, this is what has happened to me. I've died to my sins and I've raised with Christ. So baptism is not only an individual making a profession, it's also a church affirming that profession. So that's why when we do our baptisms, I have a script that I read from and I ask the person a couple questions. Um, have you, I can't remember the exact script, but it's, have you repented of your sins? Are you trusting in Jesus? Do you plan to follow him with your life? And then I turn and I say to the congregation, church, do you uh, make a, a commitment to this person to hold them accountable. I'm, I'm involving you in that because that baptism is not just an individual's profet- in a personal profession of faith. It's also the church affirming that profession. And just as the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a one-time event that happens in somebody's life when they're converted, when they're born again, baptism in a local church is the way that somebody comes into the local church. Baptism by the Holy Spirit brings somebody into the universal church, and baptism in a local church brings them into membership of that local church. Again, baptism does not save you. Repentance and faith in Jesus do. But baptism is the Bible's way, of, uh, is the way the Bible tells you to make that faith and repentance known, is by being baptized. So what is this, what kind of implications does this have for our local church? When we think of someone uh, who's a church member, somebody who's been born again and who's been baptized, what kind of implications does that have for us? How does that practically work out at our church? Well, we need to remember that being born again and being baptized are both important. They're both important. And we don't do one. We shouldn't do one without the other. If someone is saved without being baptized... And we allow that to happen. They're in some sense, they're rebelling against the first and simplest command that Jesus said. Jesus said, hey, be baptized after you're saved. And if we allow them to not do that, we're allowing them to continue in a, in some sense, a state of rebellion. We need to encourage, chase after and say, hey, if you've made this profession of faith, we want to hear that and we want to baptize you. We want to see you be brought into the family of God. But also the flip side is, is, is bad too. So being saved without being baptized is rebellion. But being baptized without being saved is dangerous. Being baptized without being saved is dangerous. So when we have somebody that comes forth for baptism, we say, have somebody say, I want to be baptized. The first thing we do isn't put them in water. The first thing we do is say, hey, let me hear your testimony about how you came to be a believer, right? Because we don't want to baptize somebody Because baptism is an affirmation to somebody, hey, you're in right relationship with the Lord. That's why we we hold hands and and we put our arms around our Presbyterian brothers and sisters in in Christ. But we disagree with them on this point because um, they will baptize a baby, right? They're saying, hey, this child has been born into this family, this Christian family. They need to be brought into the church. So they'll baptize them to bring them into the church and they'll confirm them later on. Right. And we we love our our brothers and sisters. They are Christians. We love our brothers and sisters in Christ that are are part of that church or other churches that do that. But we have a disagreement there because we want to make sure anybody we're baptizing is someone who's been born again because we're affirming to them. Hey, you're in right relationship with the Lord. 
So being born again and being baptized are both important. So we need to emphasize both of those. Not just say, hey, we got them saved and that's good enough. Let them go out the door. No, we want to say, hey, let's pull them into the people of God. Let's baptize them to allow them to make that profession of faith. But we also don't want to just baptize uh, willy-nilly and not affirm their, their uh, belief in Christ. And then another way that this practically works out in our church in, in our church is a lot of times I'll do church membership interviews with folks who are becoming members of our church. And why is that? It's not because it's a tryout or an audition or something like that. It's me sitting down with them simply to say, what's the gospel? What's the good news of Jesus? Have you believed that good news of Jesus? And have you made that public through baptism? Like, have you made that known through baptism? It's not to say, it's not to find out if someone's good enough for the club. That's not what our our membership interviews are about. In one sense, it's seeing if you're bad enough for the club, right? Because churches, our goal isn't to look for, or one, one author said it this way, the church shouldn't look for people who are never jerks. We should look for people who admit they're jerks and are willing to work on it, right? We're not looking for perfect people. That's not what regenerate church membership is about to say, hey, we're looking for people who act perfect. And if you're not good enough for our church, we're not going to let you join. It's to say we want people who are born again and have made that public. And all of us in this room, none of us are perfect. All of us fall short. But being a Christian isn't about being perfect. It's about realizing that you're not perfect, but you really want to work on that. And you really want to become more like Jesus. And you want to help other people do that. Because that's what Christ has called us to do. To, to increasingly reflect his image in this world. To look more like Jesus. That's what we were created for in Genesis. That's what we're recreated for in the New Testament. To look more like Jesus. So as we think about what church membership looks like, who can be a church member? There's no super high mark. There's no um, super high um, requirements for it. Simply trusting in Jesus and making that public through baptism. So if you are a church member, you should be encouraged to say, hey, it's a group of believers who has said, hey, we affirm your your profession of faith and we love you and we want to, to be with you. If you're not a church member... Realize that, hey, it's an open invitation. We want as many people to be part of this body of people as possible. And there are no crazy requirements, nothing that would be brought upon you that would be um, any more than what Christ would say. Repent of your sins and trust in him and make that public through baptism. And as we try to be that local expression, right? We've talked about how there's this universal church and we, First Baptist, we're just one local expression of that. Um, having clarity on these issues like church membership allows us, I believe, to better reflect that image in our community. When we know, when we can say, hey, these are the people I'm holding accountable. These are the people that I'm locking arms with and trying to help become more like Jesus. And these are the people that are going to help me become more like Jesus. And when we do that, I think we can better reflect and better reach our community and our city for Christ.